You are listening to a message from the Living Word community in Center City, Philadelphia. We are followers of Jesus Christ, called to love God and love people, to share Jesus and help people experience true life change that can only come from knowing Him. We hope that you enjoy this message today. And um, just want to uh, uh, praise the Lord for what He's already been doing, uh, preparing our hearts for His Word. And um, it's, a, it's great to have a chance to open this passage, this, this section of Scripture, uh, the wisdom literature, uh, a powerful and important part of the Old Testament. Uh, we're going to be reading uh, Job and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And this is a precious portion of God's Word because we need the Lord's wisdom. And that's what wisdom literature is all about. And of course, the book of Proverbs is the foundation of that. And in very simple and yet life-changing terms, the Lord shows his his wisdom through the book of Proverbs. Job and Ecclesiastes, very unique books. Uh, Job uh, deals with uh, the issue of suffering and, and, and asks and answers and leaves unanswered some very profound questions about uh, the the experience of suffering and and God's goodness and presence in the midst of suffering. And then, of course, the book of Ecclesiastes, also very profound, uh, asks some questions about the meaning of life and how sometimes things seem futile. So the Lord has given us some good wisdom to live by. Aren't you glad that the Lord didn't just leave us to to figure things out by ourselves, but he, he gives us his wisdom in the book of Proverbs. And I I appreciate the chance to, as a congregation, uh, read through this, pa- this portion of God's word together, the wisdom literature. But last week, uh, there was another anointed preacher standing in this place. His name was Carl Dreer. And uh, you may remember that Carl shared a, a powerful message with us out of Jeremiah chapter 17. And uh, he was talking about, about justice and injustice and about equality and inequality. And he said, although it's important and it's good for Christians to be aware of and to work for justice in the world, ultimately we realize that the source of evil, the source of good, the source of justice and injustice is in the human heart. And uh, he read to us from Jeremiah chapter 17, where the Lord says that the heart is deceitful above all else, and it's desperately sick. Who can know it? Who can understand the heart? And then the Lord says, uh, this is Jeremiah 17, uh, I, the Lord, search the hearts. I test the minds. So our, ultimately, our, our, our hope in change in our society comes from God changing people's hearts, not from working externally on social structures. And I appreciate that, Carl, how you made us aware of that. And Another part of what Carl did yesterday in in our celebration of Black History Month was he talked about the spiritual roots of our congregation here in Living Word, and particularly two two, uh, women, uh, Sister Grace, and I believe the other sister's name was Elizabeth, and uh, it was a black woman and a white woman who many, many years ago uh, prayed together in unity for God to do a work by his Holy Spirit in the city of Philadelphia. And our congregation was born out of that unity and out of that prayer. And I appreciate Carl also un- un- unveiling for us, reminding us of our, our spiritual roots as a congregation. So what I'm going to do is follow in Carl's footsteps and talk to you about two women again but not the same two women. Uh, I'm going to talk to you about, uh, to give you a tale of two women. Do you like to talk about other people? 
I like to talk about other people, especially behind their backs, but that's kind of sinful and that's sort of gossipy. So, but I want to talk to you about two women who are not technically members of Living Word, and yet I think we know them and I think we will recognize who they are. And uh, the, um, this is a tale of two women. By the way, just to go back again to what uh, Carl was saying about the heart and the issues of the heart, one of the key verses for me in the book of Proverbs is Proverbs 4.23, where the the writer uh, exhorts us to watch over diligently our hearts, to guard our hearts diligently, for for from them flow the issues of life. And uh, that's um, our tie-in to our study of the wisdom literature in the book of Proverbs uh, the emphasis again on the heart and watching over and be diligent to guard our hearts for from them flow, flow the issues of life. The two women. The primary message of the book of Proverbs is that the Lord speaks to us and encourages us to live our lives according to the principles of wisdom. And throughout the book of Proverbs, especially the first nine chapters, but repeatedly in the book of Proverbs and also in chapter seven, which we're focusing on today, Proverbs seven, wisdom is personified as a woman. Uh, Sometimes people refer to her as Lady Wisdom. And uh, she calls to us, she calls to, to, to mankind throughout the book of Proverbs. Just as one example of this, a very early on in Proverbs chapter one, Verse 20. I'm going to make mention of a couple of passages in Proverbs, and uh, you're, you're feel, please feel free to turn to them with me. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 20. Wisdom shouts in the street. She lifts her voice in the square. Um, at the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. She says several things. How long, O oh naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? Um, verse 23. Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. The book of Proverbs is listening to Lady Wisdom and her appeals to us to pay attention to the things that she says. Lady Wisdom is not the only woman who cries out to us in the book of Proverbs. She's not the only voice that we hear described and depicted, portrayed in the book of Proverbs. She's not the only caller. Throughout the first nine chapters of Proverbs and and several times elsewhere in the book, and especially chapter seven, there are two voices, two women who call out to us. And that's why Proverbs, in a sense, is a tale of two women. Charles Dickens wrote a powerful novel called A Tale of Two Cities. Proverbs, A Tale of Two Women. But also, God's word really is a tale of two cities. Because Dickens didn't write the first version of A Tale of Two Cities. The first tale of two cities is here for us in this book that we read between the covers of the Bible. Toward the end of the scriptures, in the end of the book of Revelation, is the first tale of two cities. There are two cities that again are depicted, portrayed as women in the end of the book of Revelation. What are those two cities? They are the city, the the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem that comes down out of heaven from God, sparklingly bedecked as a a bride for her bridegroom in bright jewels. That's the the, the heavenly Jerusalem, the one city 
at the end of the, the scriptures in the end of the book of Proverbs. The other city is Babylon the Great. Thank you, Scott. The second city who, that's mentioned in the scriptures is Babylon, who's called the harlot. Babylon the Great, she who seduces mankind, kings, and kingdoms to follow after her. Two cities, two women, two voices, and ultimately every person on the face of the earth will claim allegiance to one or the, of the two cities, to either the heavenly Jerusalem or to Babylon the harlot, Babylon the great. The righteousness of God a lot of times in the scriptures is portrayed to us by being contrasted with wickedness and with evil, and that's very much the case here. Two cities, two women. Uh, in the book of James, and I want to make a quick reference to James chapter 3, and if you have a Bible, if, you, if you're quick, you can flip with me over to James chapter 3. There are two, also two voices that call. James refers to them as two sources of wisdom. James chapter 3, verse 15, James 3, 15. The apostle says, there is, some, there is a wisdom that is not that which comes from above. This wisdom is earthly, natural, demonic. It involves jealousy, selfish ambition, disorder, and every evil thing. This wisdom that comes from below, this earthly, demonic wisdom, he contrasts with the wisdom that's from above, James 3.17. The wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, um, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Two sources of wisdom depicted for us in the book of James. Very much like the two women at the end of Revelation, the two voices that we see in the book of Proverbs. <clears throat> and the literature of Western civilization is full of examples of men and women who, were, who heard these two voices, who had to make a decision about which voice to listen to. And uh, that's abundantly illustrated for us uh, in, our, in, our list, in our history and in our literature in Western civilization. One prime example for me is, one, in my opinion, one of the great tragedies ever written. It was called King Lear by William Shakespeare. You may have heard of him. Uh, Shakespeare wrote a powerful tragedy called King Lear. And some of you have read King Lear, but for those of you who haven't, just to give you a, a quick thumbnail, King Lear is an elderly king, and he is a little bit senile, and he decides it's time to step down and from his throne, and he has three daughters. Uh, there are two wicked daughters, their names are Regan, Regan and Goneril, and one righteous, pure of heart daughter, his youngest daughter, whose name is Cordelia. So, Reg so Lear calls his three daughters together, and he says, I'm gonna re retire, I'm, I'm stepping down, and I'm gonna div divide my kingdom among the three of you, and uh, I'm gonna give a, a lot of portion to each of you depending on how much you flatter me. So now's your chance, and I want you to, to tell me how great you think I am, and how wonderful I am, and how much you love me. 
So uh, Regan and Goneril have no problem with this, and they, they praise him, and they flatter him. They tell him what a wonderful, wonderful person he is, as he's the greatest king who ever lived. And then it comes time for Cordelia, who is the one true, honest one, the one who really loves him, and he asks her what she has to say, and she says nothing. She says she refuses to participate in the charade of flattery, and uh, as a result, Lear banishes his, his one true daughter, Cordelia, from the kingdom, and he divides his kingdom up between the other two, uh, Regan, Regan and Goneril. And as a result of that wrong decision, that listening to the wrong voices, great tragedy comes to the king, to all three of his daughters, and to the kingdom, and they all pay the price for the wrong choice that he made. And brothers and sisters, the course of our lives is largely determined by the choices that we make, the decisions that we make. The Lord gives us many opportunities, and he gives us a great deal of latitude or freedom to make good choices, to make bad choices, to decide between the righteous and the unrighteous. It makes me think of uh, the prophet Elijah uh, just before his confrontation on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal. And he, sa he cries out to the Israelites and he says, how long will you hesitate between two decisions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. If Baal, then follow him. Get off the fence. Make up your mind. Which is it going to be? There are some huge decisions that we make in life, the chief of which is whether to accept or reject the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But there are also some other smaller decisions that we need to make. And as we are in the course of living our lives day to day, there are two women who are calling to us, two voices that we hear that try to influence us in the decisions that we make. To whom are you listening? brothers and sisters. What voice are you paying attention to? Lady Wisdom calls out to us repeatedly in the book of Proverbs. I just want to quickly mention uh, a couple of passages. You can turn with me if you want. You don't have to, but uh, the voice of Lady Wisdom appealing to us. I mentioned already Proverbs chapter 1 verse 20, where she says, where it says that, uh, Wisdom shouts, and she calls out, and she says, How long, O naive ones, will you love being, being simple-minded? She, she says, Turn to me. I will pour out my spirit upon you. I will pour out my words upon you. She calls out. The late Lady Wisdom calls out, and she demands our attention. She cries out to us. Again in chapter 8, Proverbs chapter 8. Does not wisdom call out and understanding lift her voice? Um, beside the gate, just skipping a little around a little bit, but besides the gates, um, and, she, and she says, How long to you, O men, I call? O naive ones, understand, understanding. She says, um, in verse, seven, in verse 6, listen, and I will speak noble things. So, so wisdom is calling out to us 
And she, she wants us to listen. She wants us to, to pay attention. In Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The fear of the Lord, the beginning of wisdom. We're repeatedly appealed to, to listen to her and to follow her, her ways and her advice. But there's another voice calling. There is another voice that cries out to us uh, throughout the book of Proverbs, and particularly in the opening chapters, and especially in verse in chapter 7, which we'll be reading in a moment. And she is known as the, the strange woman, the adulteress, the woman of folly. Proverbs chapter 2, verse 16. Get over there. He says, um, I want to, uh, to deliver you uh, from, the, from, the, from the strange woman, from the woman of folly. Don't pay attention to her. Don't listen to her words. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 3. Um, I'm going to take a moment to put a drop in my eye, if you'll excuse me. The lips of an adulteress, chapter 5, verse 3, drip honey. Smoother than oil is her speech. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold of Sheol. This is the voice of the adulteress who appeals to us throughout the book of Proverbs. Uh, chapter 6, verse 24. Proverbs 6, 24. Turning a couple of pages over. It says, Do not desire her beauty in your heart. Do not, do not let her capture you with her eyelids. Very vivid, vivid image, as have you ever been captured by the eyelids? For on account of, of a harlot, one is reduced to a loaf of bread. An adulteress hunts for the precious life. The adulteress hunting for your life. So throughout the book of Proverbs, these two voices appealing to us. Glory and honor and life are held out to those who listen to the voice of Lady Wisdom. Death and destruction and horror are the result of listening to the voice of the strange woman, the woman of folly, the adulteress. And the contrast between these two is, is drawn perhaps most sharply in Proverbs chapter seven, the seventh chapter of the book of Proverbs. And I'd like to read that whole chapter with you now. And uh, don't think of it as being reading a long chapter together. Think of it as being me doing your homework for you again. Proverbs chapter 7. Are you with me? My son, keep my words and treasure my commandment within you. Keep my commandment and live. And, the te and my teaching is the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And, and, make, and call understanding your intimate friend, that they may keep you from an adulteress, 
from she who flatters, from the foreigner who flatters with her words. For at the window, at my window of, the, of my house, I looked out through my lattice, and I saw among the naive and discerned among the youths a man lacking sense. This man, here in verse 6, this young man lapping, lacking sense, he's the protagonist of our story. He is the individual, he's our hero, he's the one to whom all the attention is drawn. The young man lacking sense. Verse 7, passing through the street near the adulteress's corner, he takes the way to her house. In the twilight, in the evening, in the middle of the night, and in the darkness. And behold, a woman comes to meet him, dressed as a harlot and cunning of heart. She is boisterous and rebellious. Her feet do not remain at home. She is now in the streets, now in the squares, and she lurks by every corner. So she seizes him and kisses him, and with a brazen face, she says to him, I was due to offer peace offerings. Today, I have paid my vows. How nice, she's very religious. Therefore, I have come out to, to meet you, to seek your presence earnestly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, with colored linens of Egypt, um, I have sprinkled my bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. Come, let us drink our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with caresses. For my husband's not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He's taken a bag of money with him. At the full moon, he will come home. With her many persuasions, she entices him. With her flattering lips, she seduces him. Suddenly, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as one in fetters to the discipline of a fool until an arrow pierces through his liver. As a bird hastens to the snare, so he does not know that it will cost him his life. Lady Wisdom again speaking to us, verse 24. Now therefore, my sons, listen to me and pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart Turn aside to the adulteress's ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many are the victims she has cast down, and numerous are all her slain. Her house is the way to Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. Brothers and sisters, the choice could not be clearer. The first four verses of Proverbs chapter 7, the embrace of Lady Wisdom. The embrace of wisdom is passionate. It's all-consuming. It's intimate. Do you see in verse 4 of Proverbs 7, Say to wisdom, you are my sister. Call understanding your intimate friend. The embrace of wisdom leads to life. The embrace of the adulteress is also passionate. It's also all-consuming, and it's also um, intimate. Embracing the adulteress, the strange woman, the woman of folly, leads to death. Verse 5 of Proverbs 7 is really the purpose of this chapter. It says, to keep you from the adulteress, from the foreigner who flatters 
with your lips. This is the purpose, in a way, of the whole book of Proverbs, especially chapter 7, is to keep us, to guard us from the one who flatters, from the temptation, from the adulteress. My brethren, the Lord is really concerned about our purity, your purity and my purity. That's what he's after. We who are in Christ have been washed clean by the precious blood of Jesus. He's taken care of all of our sins. We're justified by faith in Christ. He's, get, he's granted purity, righteousness to us. It's incumbent on us to guard that purity. In Psalm 119, the psalmist says, how can, keep, how can a young man keep his way pure? He says, by keeping it according to your word. With my whole heart, I've sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. That's Psalm 119 in the second section, which is called Beth. The Apostle Paul also, vitally concerned with the purity of Christians. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. You might want to take note of this. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 around verse 3. I won't turn there. But Paul says to the Corinthians, I'm afraid lest as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds should be led astray from the simplicity, purity of devotion to Christ. This is Paul's goal for his disciples, simple, pure devotion to Christ. Remember what happened to Eve. Remember how the serpent by his craftiness deceived her. Don't let that happen to you. Don't be led astray from the simple, pure devotion to Christ. Don't be led astray. Adultery, a serious sin, forbidden in the seventh of the Ten Commandments. Of course, adultery is a, is a literal thing. It means having sexual relations with someone to whom you're not married. Adultery causes death and destruction. Adultery is, um, takes, takes many forms. Now, there are some of us here and some of us listening by Zoom, maybe, who have never committed adultery and maybe never even been seriously tempted to commit adultery. So I guess for the people in that category, we're off the hook. We can just discount Proverbs chapter 7. It doesn't really apply to us, right? Not so fast. Not so fast. Jesus said this. Moses said you should not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks on a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Different kinds of adultery. Some kinds of adultery are more subtle than others. I believe personally that, that addiction to pornography, whether it's hardcore or softcore pornography, and I think you know the difference, is a form of adultery, addiction to pornography. There are other kinds of adultery that are also a little more subtle too, um, especially uh, in the Old Testament, but throughout the Bible, but most poignantly in the book of Hosea, adultery is linked with idolatry. These two are mirror images of each other. Adultery is unfaithfulness to your marriage vows. So idolatry is unfaithful to your vows of faithfulness to the Lord. And 
in a, there's a sense in which anything that, that leads me astray, that causes me to betray my faithfulness to God and to his call in my life, is as, a, as idolatry, is a form of adultery. So let's not let ourselves off the hook too quickly and say, well, we're not, we've not been tempted to be adulterers. Temptation takes a lot of different forms, and uh, appreciate my brother praying about this earlier in the service. Some of, sometimes temptation is very blatant. It's right in your face. Proverbs chapter 7, verse 11. How's the, how does he describe the adulteress? She's boisterous and rebellious. Her feet do not remain at home. Verse 13, she seizes the young fool. She kisses him, and with a brazen face, she gives her, she gives her tempting words. Adultery sometimes is very, excuse me, uh, temptation is sometimes very, very blatant and out front and easy to see, easy to identify. Sometimes it's a little more subtle. Sometimes it's a little bit craftier. It says in verse 11, no, excuse me, in verse 10, it says, she's dressed as a harlot, she's cunning of heart. The uh, temptation can be very cunning. In verse 12, it says that um, she flatters. She's now, now in the streets, now in the squares. She lurks by every corner. Sometimes temptation's not out in the open, not in bright lights where it can be easily seen, but it's lurking in the shadows lurking in the darkness, something that only you and the Lord may be aware of. Before, just before Cain murdered his brother Abel, the Lord spoke a word to Cain, and he said to, he said to him, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Cain failed to do that. But he was warned by the Lord in advance, sin crouching at the door. A lot of times the way a, the way a temptation works in our lives is by appealing to our vanity. We all like to feel good about ourselves. We like to feel like we're special and important and precious. And, and uh, temptation appeals to us, to our vanity in that way. And that's why the adulterist is described as a flatterer in 7.5. He talks about uh, the adulteress, the foreigner who flatters with her words. She's a flatterer. She wants to make you feel good about yourself, tell you your pretty hot stuff. Verse 15, 7.15, she says to the young fool, I've come out to meet you, to seek your presence earnestly, and I've found you. Don't we all want to be wanted? We desire to be desired. We want someone to tell us we're special, we're precious. We want to be wanted. Well, the adulteress wants you. She's got her eyes on you. On you. She's ready to tempt you. And of course, a lot of the temptation is, is just plain old sexuality and, and sensuality. And she speaks in very glowing terms about her plans. Verse 16, this is the words by which she attempts this young fool. She says, I've spread my, my couch with coverings, with colored linens of Egypt. I have sprinkled my, my bed 
with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us drink our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with caresses. It sounds so wonderful. It will feel so good. Temptation appealing to our sensuality and our, our desire for gratification. The devil's not stupid. You know, he doesn't come to you and say, look, if you do this sin, you'll really be miserable. You'll hate yourself afterwards. You'll alienate yourself in your relationship with God. So come on and go ahead and sin. Temptation doesn't work that way. It makes it sound like it's going to be wonderful. Oh, the sin will feel so great. Just come along. Just come on along. Later in the book, in, in Proverbs chapter 23, he talks about another temptation to another type of sin, the sin of drunkenness. And he says, don't look on the wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Ah, drunkenness. Doesn't it feel kind of nice in the beginning when you first couple of drinks and you feel happy and lighthearted and cheerful and you're laughing? You may find yourself lying in a gutter drenched in your own vomit someday. That's the effect of sin. The devil doesn't tell you that in the beginning. Don't look on the wine when it's red. Don't listen to this adulteress talking to you about how you're going to, you're going to delight yourself in caresses, fleshly weakness. The literature and the history of Western civilization is filled with examples, as I mentioned, of people who are given the choice to say yes or no to temptation. Possibly the most significant book ever written in the English language, written by an itinerant preacher he wrote it in jail in England. He was imprisoned for his faith. When John Bunyan wrote Pilgrim's Progress, he described the path of Christian from the city of destruction toward the celestial city, his ultimate goal, to be with the Lord in heaven. But along the way, Christian had to pass through a place called Vanity Fair. I don't know how many of you have read Pilgrim's Progress will remember Vanity Fair, but it's a wonderful, charming place, a place full of all kinds of delightful-looking things, temptations for all kinds of, of fleshly and worldly desires. Vanity Fair. And, you know, people in Vanity Fair appeal to Christian, and they say, well, you know, we know you're on your way to the celestial city, and you'll get there someday, don't, but what's the hurry? Come, spend a little time with us. Stay with us here in Vanity Fair and uh, forget about the celestial city for a while. You'll have a great time here in Vanity Fair. Literature's full of, of other um, opportunities to observe uh, men and women saying yes or no to temptation. One of the longest and greatest poems ever written was written by an elderly uh, man in ancient Greece by the name of Homer. And Homer wrote two really long, powerful poems. One is called the Iliad, and the other is the Odyssey. And some of you may have read the Iliad or the Odyssey, but in the Odyssey, the hero is Odysseus. And uh, sometimes he's called Ulysses, but uh, his name is Odysseus. And um, he's on a, he has a quest to fulfill. He has a mission and a goal in life. But 
part of it involves a long ocean journey uh, with, with, a group, with some ships. And along the way, he and his men encounter the sirens. The sirens call out. And the sirens are, are beautiful mythological creatures who have the voices of beautiful women. And uh, they cry out to mariners who are sailing by, come a little closer. It sounds very faint, but beautiful at first. Come closer, come closer. And their goal of the sirens is for Odysseus and his ships and his men to be smashed against the rocks and to hit the shoals and to sink and for the men to drown and for the mission to not be fulfilled. And uh, so what Odysseus does, he, he knows about the sirens and he commands that his men stop up their ears with beeswax so that they will not hear and be tempted to be destroyed on the shoals. You know, the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy talks about those who have suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. And that sounds like kind of a crude uh, solution, isn't it? Just stuff up your ears with, with beeswax. Can't we, can't we do something a little bit more sophisticated or a little, a little bit more intellectual when it comes to dealing with temptation? Uh, beeswax? Maybe a pretty good idea. Stuff, stuff it in your ears. If you don't have any beeswax, don't give up because you have these things here, your fingertips. And, you know, these are wonderful gifts from the Lord. You know what you can do with your fingertips? You can stick them in your ears when you hear the voice of the siren, when you hear the temptation and say, I'm ignoring, I'm ignoring, I'm not listening. By the way, Dave, this may be a good time for me to ask you. Uh, I've noticed that we've gotten dangerously low in living word in our supply of beeswax. I was wondering if we could ask Ephraim to order some more beeswax so we can stuff up our ears with beeswax and not listen to the voice. I see Dave nodding, so we're going to need to be getting some more beeswax soon because Odysseus's voice is very good. His, his, his advice is very good. Just stuff, it, stuff up your ears so you can't listen, so you refuse to listen to the voice of temptation. Lady Wisdom, her goal for you, if you listen to her, is your salvation, your spiritual wholeness, your sanctification, eternal life. The other lady in Proverbs chapter 7, the adulteress, the foreign woman, the strange woman, the woman of folly, she also has an intention and a goal for you, and it's your spiritual destruction and its alienation in your relationship with the Lord. There come moments in our spiritual lives where we face a turning point, where we have to decide and make up our mind. Was there ever a time in your life when you made the wrong decision, when you did something really sinful and selfish and stupid and you paid the price for it later? You say, I could kick myself. Why did I do that? Why did I deliberately to make a sinful wrong choice? Why did I not listen to the voice of wisdom? Our protagonist in, in Proverbs chapter 7 comes to a, a great turning point, a point of decision. In verse 21, with her many persuasions, the adulteress entices him. And with flattering lips, she seduces him. Verse 22, suddenly he turns. Suddenly he follows her. As an ox 
to the slaughter, or as a as a, a fool, as a one in discipline to the discipline of a fool, until an arrow pierces his liver. Suddenly, he follows her. But you know, we're not really surprised, because there was a foreshadowing of the fact that he was going to make the wrong decision. I don't know if you remember back in verse 8 of Proverbs 7, but it says that, that passing through the, through the street, he, drew, he draws near to her corner. Verse 8, he takes, the, he takes the path to her house. In the twilight, in the evening, in the middle of the night, and in the darkness. This is when temptation is most powerful. You think maybe nobody will listen. Maybe no one will know. He says, I'm not even, I'm not going to go into her house. I just want to sort of check it out and see where it is and make a mental note for later on. Maybe I'll go back, maybe I'll come back later. And I'm going to go when it's dark, so maybe no one will see me. Maybe even the Lord won't see me. Preparing in advance to give in to temptation, to just find out where her house is. Is flirting okay? How do you feel about a little harmless flirting? There is no such thing as harmless flirting. When you're flirting with someone of the opposite sex or when you're tempted to do that, how do you think your spouse feels about that or would feel if they knew? Proverbs chapter 6, if you look over across the page from Proverbs chapter 7, uh, verse 27, Proverbs six twenty-seven: Can man take fire into his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? Don't think a little, a little flirting with sin and with temptation is going to be okay. You're going to scorch your feet. You're going to burn your clothes. The protection against temptation, against listening to the flattering words of the adulteress, is given to us uh, toward the end of Proverbs 7. And it's in listening to the voice of wisdom. Verse 24, for example, um, she says, Now therefore... My sons, listen to me. Pay attention to my words. We need, it's, it's not enough to just hear it, to hear wisdom. Sometimes, you know, like with a boring teacher, you say, oh, I've heard all this before, and you, yada, 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 in one ear and out the other. No, you've got to listen. You've got to pay attention. And it says, um, do not let your heart go, a- go after the adulteress. Again, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Guard your heart with all diligence. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. It's about guarding the heart. Last, uh, last Sunday, Carl was talking to us about the heart and about how the Lord sees the hearts, how the Lord judges the hearts in Jeremiah chapter 17. The end of chapter 7 ends with some really dire Warnings. The last two verses about what happens to those who listen to the adulteress, to the, the woman of folly, the strange woman. Her steps take hold of death. The young fool doesn't know it's going to cost him his life. 
dire warnings. The Lord warns us very harshly, very confrontationally, because he loves us a lot. He wants to keep us away from the adulteress. Also because he loves us a lot, he invites us, he implores us to listen to Lady Wisdom, to, to take hold of her, to listen uh, to her words, verse 24. And verse 4, I love Proverbs 7, verse 4. It's so beautiful. It's so powerful. Say to wisdom, you're my sister. Call understanding your intimate friend. For that's how you can be kept from the voice of the adulteress. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your call in our lives. Lord, thank you for reminding us last week through our brother, Lord, that you are concerned about justice and equality in the earth and you expect us to work toward that, but that ultimately the change in humankind comes with the heart. And Lord, you see the hearts and you judge the hearts and the minds. And thank you for reminding us, Lord, to, um, to watch over our hearts with all diligence because from them flows the spring of life. And Lord, we just want to pray along with uh, David toward the end of Psalm 139. Lord, search us, O God, and know our hearts. Try us. Lord, see if there be any wicked way in us. Lead us in the everlasting way. We ask this, Father, in Jesus' name.